Good morning again, everybody. My name is Richard Pratt, and I've been here at this church a number of times to speak with you in a number of different venues, but it's always good to be back, and I'm glad to see old friends here and glad to see new people, too. Um, It's just a privilege to be with you. I I live in Orlando, Florida, where I serve a ministry called Third Millennium Ministries. And if you did not know it, your church supports our ministry. So I say thank you for that support and for your prayers. And also, in between services today, I had at least six people come up to me and say, hey, we use Third Mill. And I said, well, that's great. Way to go. What an encouragement to me. So if you do, you want to encourage me, tell me. It'd be great. Um, The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew. It's on page 810 in the Bibles in front of you. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, page 810. And if you've been around the Christian faith much, if you've heard much about Jesus or about Christianity, you've probably heard these words before. They're familiar to us, but we will hope that the Lord will bless our time with new insights and with the kinds of insights that will change us. You have to watch out for this passage. This passage can change your life. Are you ready to be changed? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have just heard words that you taught those who followed you thousands of years ago. And here we are today, listening to you again. We turn to you on this day because we trust no one like we trust you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. We turn to you. And we pray that you will now send Holy Spirit to us. May he come to this place and fill every heart in this room that we may be able to see and hear and live for you. We will honor you for this. We will give you the glory for it. Amen. This passage is all about light. Jesus was all about light. And if you think about it, in modern society like ours, everything's lit up. I mean, it's hard to get away from light. You have to go way out in the woods and realize how dark things can be, or you have to have some kind of emergency. We, about this time last year, had a big hurricane in Orlando, Florida, where I live, And it was so bad that for seven days, we had no electricity at all in our home or in the offices at Third Millennium. So we had a lot of darkness around. And I can remember about the first night of that darkness because we really weren't prepared. We knew the hurricane was coming, but, you know, seven days, no electricity. Nobody's prepared for that kind of thing. And in the middle of the night, I'm awakened by a big crash 
of a lamp on our bedroom floor because my wife had gotten up in the middle of the night, was stumbling her way through, and she knocked over her favorite lamp, and it shattered all over the room. And I woke up and I said, what can I do? What can I do? And she said, don't move. All I need is a little bit of light. All I need is a little bit of light. You can't be in darkness for very long before that's what comes to mind. I need a little bit of light. Jesus in this passage talked about light. In a world where people knew how much they needed light. And he said some common sense things. He said, look, when you build a city and it's up on a hill, you can't hide it. Why? Well, because there are fires and things like that, lamps in that city. So if it's got light, it's seen. And nobody takes a light and lamp and lights it up and sticks it under a bushel to keep it down. I mean, he said some very common sense things, but the reason he spoke about light is ever so important for you and me to understand. Jesus was preaching to a crowd of people on a hillside next to the Sea of Galilee. I just took some of the members of this church, some of them are here this morning in this service and some were in the earlier service. We went on a trip over to the Holy Land just a couple of weeks ago. Spent a long time over there, didn't we? <laughs> Two weeks or so, but we went to the place where Jesus preached this sermon. And if you were to see it, if you were to look at photographs, just Google it today, you'll see that the Sea of Galilee is an absolutely gorgeous place. It's not like most places over there. It's very green. It's wonderful. The weather's good. It's where all the Gentiles love to go. They all love to live up there because it was so nice. Jerusalem, not so nice. Galilee, really nice. And so it would have been easy for people sitting on that hillside listening to Jesus to sort of look out and see how beautiful things are and not really have much sense of a need for light. I mean, after all, in the bright sunshine, it's a magnificent place. But they knew their need for light because these people were suffering. And they had suffered for a long time. Their ancestors for more than 500 years, 500 years, longer than this country has even existed, their ancestors had lived under the tyranny of foreign powers who oppressed them in every way you can possibly imagine. In fact, as you go around the Sea of Galilee, there are sites that still exist today where these pagan nations had actually erected altars and temples to their false demonic gods. It was a place of great darkness in a religious sense, in a spiritual sense, great darkness. But even more than that, it was darkness in a political sense too, because every time anybody tried to rise up against these tyrants, they were squashed they were destroyed over and over again, generation after generation. It was a time of helplessness for generations for these people. It's all they had ever known. It's all their parents had ever known. It's all their grandparents had ever known. And these tyrants would oppress them by taking their money, by taking their children, by taking their food, conscripting them into services of various sorts. It was a miserable, horrible life of darkness imposed on them for more than 500 years. And into that kind of world, Jesus spoke of light. 
it's not all that different from the way many of us feel right now about where we're living today. I mean, has there ever been a time when you have wondered, can things get any worse than they are actually getting right now? Can the spiritual darkness, the spiritual harm that's coming on us from every side, can it get any worse than this? I mean, we live in a day, if you're watching the news at all, where I hope you are severely disappointed in what you see, because there's not much good news in the news. It's all about the bad stuff. It's all about how our own culture and cultures around the world are denying some of the most fundamental, basic things about human life that we all just sort of assumed that everybody believed and understood. And now they're being questioned, not just questioned, they're being opposed, not just opposed. Those who advocate for the old ways are actually the enemies of society. So that now we don't know what's right, we don't know what's wrong anymore. We live in a world where people are calling evil good and good evil is all around us. It surrounds us every single day. It threatens to rob us of our children, of our grandchildren. We live in a dark world, much like the people that Jesus addressed in his day. And in Jesus' day, he said, light. And we say light. Now, usually when Christians talk about things like Jesus says in verse 14, the light of the world, usually when we hear that phrase, our, our minds go to a very special person, Jesus, because the Bible calls him the light of the world in other passages. And in fact, this Christmas, you're likely to receive a Christmas card in the mail. You'll open it up and you'll look at it and see who wrote, you know, who sent a Christmas card. So you make sure you give them one next year, right? That's the rule, isn't it? I think that's the rule. And, um, but you'll look at the front of it and there's bound to be in all of your Christmas cards, a Christmas card that says something about the light of the world. And you know what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world. Because in a world that had become so darkened and so corrupt, Jesus was born. After 500 years of that kind of darkness and oppression, Jesus came. In fact, the New Testament tells us that the land of Israel had become so dark that it had drifted back into the primeval chaos that once covered the face of the earth, a dark sea, a dark deep that covered the face of the earth. In the beginning, when that was true, God said, let there be light. And the New Testament says, as the world drifted back into that kind of darkness, God said once again, let there be light. And it was the light of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, God who once said, let there be light, has now shined the light in the face of Jesus. Jesus himself is the light of the world. And what we mean by that is that Jesus is the one who shows the way. Jesus lights up the world so that we can tell the difference between what's good for us and what's not good for us, what's the right way to follow and what's not the right way to follow so that we can have some illumination in this very dark place so you don't step on that broken lamp and cut your feet. All I need is just a little bit of light. We've got the light. 
His name is Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never thought of Jesus as the light. Maybe you haven't given your life to him. Maybe you have not seen him light up the world and show you the way. So let me just invite you today. Today is a day. If you've never come to him, this is the day for you to come to the one who lights up the world. Because if you put your hope in other things, you're doomed to the darkness. A lot of us in recent years have begun to put our hopes in political movements. Political movements, yeah, politicians, they'll fix things. How's that working for you? A lot of us have given our entire lives to thinking that, well, if I just make more money, if I just get more status by making more money, well, then that will light up my world. How's that working for you? A lot of you thought that if I can just find the right person to marry, if I can just have children, if I send them to the right school, if I do the right things for them, well, then my world will be lit up with goodness and joy. How's that working out for you? I know it was fine when they were six years old, but now that they're teenagers, how's that working out for you? The truth of the matter is, all kinds of things claim to be the way of light, but that Christmas card that you'll receive is right. There is only one light. It's the light that has shined in the face of Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. Come to him. Come to him. And you'll see the light. So in a world that is very much like the world that the people at the Galilee were experiencing, a world of darkness, a world of danger, a world of uncertainty, Jesus said, there's light. Light to be had. And the same is true for us today. But isn't it strange that verse 14 does not say Jesus is the light of the world? Does that strike you as odd? I mean, a New Testament that hails Jesus and celebrates Jesus as everything you can possibly imagine that's good, the light of the world, it doesn't say, I am the light of the world. He says the strangest thing to the ears of the people that first heard it, and those words ought to be strange to us too, because this is what he said. He looked at that crowd who had experienced darkness that could not be escaped, And he looked at them and said, you, you, you are the light of the world. What? Me? Now, you have to understand something about the people who lived in the north up there in Galilee. They were not living at the center of political power or economic power. These were people who had basically nothing. They were fishermen at best, farmers perhaps. The seat of power was way down south in Jerusalem. That's where things really happened. And surely, if you're going to say that people can be the light of the world, surely you're somebody that's got some power, that can do something, that can leverage things for the good, surely that's what 
Jesus should have said, but he didn't. He said it to these people, these people who were lowly and humble, oppressed. And he said to them, you are the light of the world. What a wonderful thing to hear. That the one who himself is the light of God turns to people who have nothing to offer and says, you are the light of the world. Do you know what's so wonderful about that? <laughs> it means you can be the light of the world too. A lot of us here in this room today are suffering in ways that we won't even speak won't even describe. They're secret things. We're tormented by a variety of temptations. We're tormented by psychological problems we have. We're in relationships that are broken and feel as if, you know, if I could just escape, but I can't escape. A lot of parents in here are worried sick about their children and feel as if the world is just crumbling around them, that there's just nothing they can do to protect their children anymore. A lot of us are wondering whether this country of ours, whether it will even continue because things have become so desperately darkened. I mean, we live in a day today where the Pew Research people, a reputable research people, actually claim that witchcraft in the United States of America has more advocates than major denominations of Christianity. Can you imagine such a thing as that? That's the kind of world in which we live. That's the kind of society that is now your society. And yet, Jesus looks at people like you and me that can do nothing about that in their own power, in their own strength, and he says, you are the light of the world. Just as Jesus himself beamed with the light of God in those kinds of desperate situations, you and I, as followers of Jesus, have been, have been called to beam with the light of God in our world. So ask yourself a hard question. When you're in a crowd of people, do you stand out as the one who's beaming? Do people look at you and say, wow, that's really strange, not like everybody else in the room? I don't know what it's like for you when you go to work, but I can tell you what most people experience. Whether No matter where you are in the hierarchy of your business, whether you're, you're the owner, a manager, or whether you're an employee, uh, the group as a whole tends to be rather negative, don't they? I mean, you don't talk about the good things that are happening very often. What you talk about all the time are the problems that you have. And so everybody gets down in the mouth. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's worried about this and worried about that. Is there anybody in your office where you work that beams? That's the privilege of a follower of Jesus, to be the one that lights up the room. 
when you go to all these crazy Christmas parties you've got to go to, and you see all the people who are there, and the only reason they're happy is because they're intoxicated, but you know underneath that is a great deal of pain, a great deal of suffering. Is there anybody at that party who's beaming light? That's the privilege of those who follow Christ, the light of the world, that they become the light of the world. In my neighborhood back in Orlando, Florida, we all, of course, are always running from the sun. I know you come to get the sun in Florida, but we're all running from it because we're all afraid we're going to get skin cancer, okay? So here's how it happens in my neighborhood. You pull into the neighborhood, and everybody has one thing in their minds when they pull in the neighborhood. Get that garage up so I can drive in and close it behind me. Now, you can tell a Christian from a non-Christian because a Christian will wave and smile while they're hitting the garage door button to try to get in as fast as they can. Everybody else is just frowning trying to get inside. But everybody wants to get inside because nobody wants to talk to anybody. Nobody wants to have any contact with anybody in the neighborhood. Just leave me alone. I'm now in my cave. This is safe for me. You stay out. What's it like in your neighborhood? Do people know each other? Is there anyone in the neighborhood that beams with light, who actually cares about their next door neighbor, knows their next door neighbor's name, knows what's happening? Is there anybody that when they have a party, when they have a get together or barbecue or something like that, that they actually invite their neighbors rather than their cronies from the office? Is there anyone that does that? In a world where things have been shaken up like our world has been, Somebody needs to light up the room, and you know who it is. You are the light of the world. Because if you have come to Jesus, then the light of Jesus having shined on you is now reflected through you to others. So what does that waiter think? When he makes a mistake and brings the wrong thing to you, do you beam the light of Jesus or are you just like everybody else? What does that cashier think of all the people that go past that cashier, one after another, after another, after another, never speaking to them, just a transactional relationship? Is there anybody in that whole line that stands out as a human being that cares about the cashier? Let it be you, because you are the light of the world. And does this world need some light? So in this darkened world of which we live, like Jesus lived, Jesus says, my followers, they're the light of the world. Not just me, Jesus, but my followers, they're the light of the world of the world. And then he says something that is more or less the moral of the story in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think that's probably one of the more remarkable things Jesus ever did, was to put 
these words out before his people. Because understand the situation they were facing. If they had become John the Baptist, who was walking around preaching and shouting, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, everybody's going to be judged, walking around with this sign saying repent or go to hell, things like that. What would have happened to them? Exactly what happened to John the Baptist, thrown in prison and beheaded. So nobody wanted to get out there and start talking a lot about a Messiah. No one wanted to get out there and talk a lot about the kingdom of God coming when Rome was the kingdom of the world. No one wanted to risk all those kinds of things. Now, at times, God calls certain people to be those kinds of risk takers. And that's perfectly fine is what they ought to do when the time comes. Jesus himself was one of those risk takers. He was the light of the world and he just spoke up and talked about it everywhere he went and caused a lot of trouble. Well, have you noticed that more and more in our culture, even in the circles you run in, how you cause trouble if you let people know what you believe? Have you noticed that? That it becomes, uh, it's just not polite to talk about that. It will be agitating to people. People will be angry with you saying, well, don't bring religion up at the office. Don't bring religion up here. Don't do that. You know, you're talking about things that are ridiculous. In fact, they won't just dismiss you. They'll actually begin to attack you. Have you noticed that that's the way it's getting more and more? We have a lot of university and college students here today. Have you noticed that's the way it is? Outside of your little holy huddle of a few Christians that you know, have you noticed how aggressive they are? Well, what do you do in a situation like that? What do you do in the situation like Jesus was facing in his day? How are ordinary, normal, run-of-the-mill Christian people supposed to be the light of the world? Just a few months ago, I was in Santa Clara, Cuba, and I was preaching in a church, and it was from this passage, as a matter of fact. And you have to understand that in Cuba, if you let your Christian faith ring out very loudly, you can be very confident that you'll lose your job, you can be very confident that you might be very much arrested, and you might in fact disappear, because that's just troublemaking, that's all there is to it, and we're not going to have that in Cuba. So they wonder, how can we be witnesses for Christ? How can we be light in Cuba? And this passage tells us, just like it tells you and me, where the priorities need to be. Listen again to what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world, so let your good deeds, your good works, so shine before men that they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, to the ordinary person. You are the light of the world, so go around picking fights with people. See, the truth of the matter is that talk is cheap, and there's no cheaper talk than religious talk. And if you don't believe that, then ask your grandchildren how they feel now about Thanksgiving. You know what it's like. So very often, granddad is a very pious, holy man during the meal. He starts it off and he says, well, I'm thankful for my grandchildren and I'm thankful for that. I did this just the other day too. I'm grateful for this, grateful for that. And then as soon as the meal is over, he can't stand the grandkids because they're making so much noise and he screams and shouts at them. He says, I'm watching my football game. Would you guys get out of here? Well, tell me whether they think your religious talk is cheap. 
or parents who will tell their teenage children who are wayward, I care about you, I love you, and they'll talk about religious things, I want you to come to Christ, and then 10 minutes later, you turn around and you become monsters. Talk is cheap when it's not backed up by good deeds. This is why Jesus tells his followers in this passage, if you want to be the light of the world, let your good works shine. So I said to these Cubans in this local, small little church of about 100 people, I said to them, think about your neighborhood. In your neighborhood, there are abuelitos and abuelitas, grandmothers and grandfathers who have been deserted by their children. Find those and be the light. Find someone whose husband or wife has been taken off to prison and be the light. Show kindness to them in ways nobody else is showing kindness. Do good deeds. We live in a day when people are noticing what we're doing much more than what we're saying. And what we do opens the door it opens the possibility of people seeing the light. Or as Jesus put it here, let your good works so shine before men that they will glorify your Father in heaven. You have someone who's close to you that you really want to see come to Christ? A child, a grandchild, a spouse? a neighbor, a relative, a boss, an employee. I mean, do you have people like that in your life? Let your good deeds so shine. When everybody else is concerned with, we've got to do it in a way that's right, you be the one that does it in a way that's merciful. When everyone else says, I don't care, you be the one who says, I care. When everyone else is saying, we're just going to do it according to the way of what's equal and what's fair and what's just and what's right, we are the people who let our good deeds of abundant mercy and kindness, a simple smile on your face, an act of mercy and kindness to those who have none in their lives becomes the door for the good news of Jesus and for the transformation of their lives. It's time for people like you and me who dearly love the truth of the good news of Jesus and who know the Bible and love it so well to take those words and open up the opportunity for others to hear them 
by our good deeds. So here we are in the Christmas season. I think we're sort of in Christmas season. When I was thinking about what to preach on, I, I was torn between preaching a Christmas sermon or preaching a Thanksgiving sermon. I figured, well, they're done with Thanksgiving. They're not going to do that for a long time. Not after Black Friday. That's lament, right? Not Thanksgiving. But Christmas is too far away, so we won't do Christmas either. So let's do the in-betweener. And this is the in-betweener. Jesus is the light of the world. Isn't it wonderful that God did not leave us in our darkness? But Jesus has given the world many lights, and they are you. And what light do we shine? Our good deeds, so that they will honor our Father in heaven. Now, this church is actually giving you some opportunities during the Christmas season to do some good deeds sorts of things, kindnesses, mercies. But you have them in your own personal life too. Be the one who is known as being the one who does the kind thing, the one who does the merciful thing, so that they will one day ask you, why do you shine? That night, in the middle of the night, when my wife knocked over that lamp, she did not want me to get out and start walking over to her to try to fix things in the darkness. She said, no, 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 stay where you are. All I need is a little bit of light. The world in which you live is crying out for that. All we need is just a little bit of light. You are that light. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, What a privilege it is to know the light of the world, you. And what a greater privilege it is for you to call us the light of the world. We confess to you that many times we are dragged into the darkness just like everyone around us. But we want to shine. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that the power you use to raise Jesus from the dead, to glorify him, to make him shine bright as the sun, that that same power will be alive and working in us, that in a world full of darkness and full of pain, we can be the light of God. We will honor you for this as we commit ourselves to it and see it done. Amen.